0: i'm in toronto actually we haven't gotten any snow yet so keep whatever you have over there
1: oh my gosh yeah it's it we just don't do well in the snow here sammy so it's uh i I was not happy to see it although i do love snow i just don't like driving in the snow
0: yeah i know once you're at home and you have all your food yeah right like you can kind of chill (laughs) Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host Sammy. I've done the grouse grind twice. That's right, twice, Yunnan. History lesson, kids. On November 4, 1946, shortly after World War II, the Toronto Huskies hosted the New York Knickerbockers at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. That was the first game played in NBA history. Basketball, of course, was a sport created by Canadian, James Naismith, in the winter of 1891. By 1947, the Huskies had folded, they only lasted one season, and the NBA struggled to survive. It didn't look like it was going to last longer. Eventually, the league merged with the ABA in 1976. Fast forward past uh, Magic, Bird, Kareem, Wilt, of course, uh, Jordan all the way to 1995, where the NBA expanded with two Canadian teams. Basketball returned to Toronto. That team was now called the Raptors, and the other team was the Vancouver Grizzlies. Toronto went on to win a championship in 2019, while the Grizzlies struggled. The Vancouver NBA team won 101 games, lost 359 games, and never qualified for the NBA playoffs. They subsequently moved to Memphis, Tennessee for the 2001-2002 NBA season. Alright, so, what happened? Why did the Grizzlies break up with Vancouver after six years? This is what the Grizzly Truth by director Cat Jamie, a diehard Vancouver Grizzlies fan, is attempting to answer. This is Cat's second Grizzlies documentary. Finding a Big Country came out in 2018. (laughs) <laughs> Sha- Shaq used to complain about Big Country. He still kind of does. You can hear him sometimes on Inside the NBA on uh, TNT. Big Country Reeves used to eat Shaq's lunch. Every NBA player has a nemesis like that. There's this one guy that for some unknown reason, they can't defeat. It's a mystery. Much like the Grizzly Truth, which is an investigation, it's detective work to unpack and explore a number of the factors that led the the team moving from Vancouver to Memphis. Having been to both cities, I can assure you they are completely different vibes. However, a highlight of Memphis are the ribs. And this is where we're gonna start this conversation as we try to unpack just exactly what the Grizzly Truth is.
1: Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host Sammy Yunan.
0: I actually want to start at a kind of a weird place. Towards the end of your documentary The Grizzly Truth, you were in Memphis and you had some ribs. How was those yeah. ribs? Cuz you're Filipino it- background, so this is an important question. <laughs>
1: They were they're pretty good. I have to admit, it they were pretty tasty. Uh, you know, love me my I love some ribs. So mm-hmm. um, that was definitely uh, one of the things that we had to do. That was like, I don't even know. It must have been like twelve or like one a.m. in the morning. It was it That was our last day in Memphis, mm-hmm. um, and we. Like I think we uh, might have been going into overtime. Like we 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 had a really long day, and I was just like, you "Guys, we need to get the shot of me eating some ribs." And that was actually it's actually a throwback. Uh, a shout out to my my uh, film Finding Big Country, where I, I eat pizza that's named after Bryant Big Country Reeves with the same act like with Reeves um, action figure mm-hmm. in the same shot. So we we kind that's of right, yeah. that was a, that was a nod to Finding Big Country that shot.
0: Uh I, I was grateful like that you ended up in Memphis. I wasn't sure because when the documentary started The Grizzly Truth when it started you and a number of like super fans that were still left in Vancouver were all kind of frowny on mm-hmm. uh Memphis and cuz obviously that's where the Grizzlies moved. And I was nervous cuz I I've actually seen a Grizzlies game in in Memphis. I've never actually <laughs> oh, been nice. Never been to a Grizzlies game in Vancouver. I've been so when I travel to the States, I always like to go to like NBA games when I can. So I've seen like Jordan in Detroit, I've seen Kobe in LA, uh, LeBron in uh, Cleveland. Like, I like to go to the games, and I have to say, I had fun at a Grizzlies game, but it's completely different atmosphere from what you're depicting in your documentary to like what they have now. Like, I saw a game versus Giannis, so it still was like a recent game.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the, I mean, the NBA's entertainment value is, like, quite amazing. Um, and I, ha- I had a blast and obviously fell in love with the city of Memphis and the people of Memphis while I was there.
0: Yeah, and it's surreal, too, that a documentary on the Vancouver Grizzlies, like, it took you to Phoenix, vegas la we already mentioned memphis portland houston new york city like Mm -hmm. this is a bigger story than we realize like people just kind of think it's almost like a breakup like a divorce or like when you break up with a a girlfriend or boyfriend but this is a much bigger story for sure i mean
1: yeah i traveled i was traveling nonstop this past year and it was so stressful to do that during covid but as you said new york houston uh, dc portland seattle la twice las vegas memphis Toronto, I had to go there twice. Like, I was just all over the place. The Vancouver Grizzlies players are kind of scattered all across North America. Mm-hmm. And so it was definitely a bigger, definitely a bigger beast, um, you know, trying to track down everyone and trying to, to find, you know, all the players that I could that would be willing to to speak on camera with me.
0: Yeah, and so let's start there because one of the first players that you struggled to find was big finding big country. This was, as yes. you said, that you already mentioned this. Like, this was your first Vancouver Grizzlies documentary. So this is the second one. Grizzly Tooth now is your second one. Like, has these kind of helped ease your pain as sort of like a grizzly therapy? See what I did there? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. No, that, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I feel very lucky and fortunate to be able to tell the story of the Vancouver Grizzlies. It's a story that I've always kind of, I, I've always dreamt of, you know, being one of the authors of. Um and, you know, so to be to be just, you know, a, ch- a childhood fan mm-hmm. that somehow wiggled my way into the Vancouver Grizzlies organization and have made countless of, you know, life ca- lifelong friends with the players, with people who worked for the team and, you know, with really people who made my childhood so great. And it's been so, um, you know, a dream come true to be able to get to know them as people and to be able to thank them for, you know, what they did um, and what the team did for
0: the for the city. Yeah, let's talk about the city because I've been to Vancouver a number of times and I really like it, but I know when uh, Steve Francis, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but when Steve Francis was drafted in 1999, he, his first impression of Vancouver was, it's cold, it rains a lot, it takes all of your money, which is a very <laughs> negative impression, but like... How would you describe it if somebody had never been to Vancouver or had only seen it on TV or maybe some X Files episode? Like, how would you describe Vancouver?
1: Well, I think Vancouver has definitely changed since, you know, the 90s when the NBA first came to town. I think there's definitely more of um, players and people just generally are more knowledgeable about the city. But, you know, it's just it's a beautiful, chilled, laid back city. Um, that is, uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's how like, and, and I was born and raised in Vancouver. And so what I love most is just, you know, being, being around so much greenery, having the mountains, um, and the water, um, you know, kind of right at our our front doorstep. So I think, I think players, um, you know, Steve, Steve Francis actually came to Vancouver, um, for the for the premiere of the Grizzly Truth at the Vancouver International Film Festival. And he said, he was like, wow, like he never really got a chance as, you know, NBA players view. They're only here for, you know, like one night and then they have to fly to their next game. Um, Mm -hmm. But he was, he was so, um, kept talking about how beautiful the city was and how, you know, he never really got to explore the city while he was a player, which, you know, might have changed things uh, potentially.
0: Yeah. When and it he was yeah, that, yeah. That's what's fascinating too, is because like, you know, the trajectory is the same, right? Like Vancouver and Toronto came in at the same time. And yes, they were Canadian cities, but Toronto figured things out a little bit more quickly. Uh, and they were winning a little bit more games, obviously, than Vancouver was busy losing. But Toronto was able to draft a savior in Vince Carter, who helped like not just the franchise, but also break through that. Like Canadian hockey culture kind of thing, you know what I mean, and so mm-hmm. do you think like the the Vancouver Grizzlies had they been able to keep Steve Francis? you think he would have been like that franchises Vince Carter and like broken through I, that Canadian culture? I think
1: so. Mm-hmm. I mean he was that he was that type of player, he was a Vince Carter type of player who played above the rim, was exciting, was electrifying, was an entertainer. Um, and I think that's what they were kind of hoping. That's why we drafted him, you know, so I, I do think he could have, I mean, it's all, I, who's, to, I mean, who's to, who's to say what would have happened, but I think the chances are, are, you know, quite high that he could have been that player for us. And that is, that is one of the reasons why we drafted him.
0: That's the thing. I never really like a lot of the, um those kind of like redrafts or whatever, when you realize this player is great or whatever, like, the draft where Vancouver got Mike Bibby, for example,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Vince Carter went to, the, to Toronto. He went in fifth, but also Dirk Nowitzki went to uh, Mavericks. Uh, Paul Pierce went well, to, Pierce. Yeah, to yeah to the Celtics. Like, but these guys fit with their franchises. Like Dirk is such a, a Mavs, like he he f- was good for that franchise, and Paul Pierce good for that franchise. And I think Bibby too, like fit with the Vancouver Grizzlies as much. It would have been great to get Vince Carter, or Dirk Nowitzki. It, mm-hmm. Bibby fit didn't
1: he he did and that's and that's what's so different like you know when fans you know want to say we could have got that guy why do you know mm-hmm. this draft we, there's so many people that as you said especially in that draft year yeah you had Dirk you had Vince Cardi you had Paul Pierce Steve Francis I mean like sorry not Steve Francis Mike Bibby I mean we got Mike but Mike was also a great he was a great choice right at that position mm-hmm. um and and so you know it's hard to it's hard to argue argue and you know, if you look at, you know, Sharif's year. I mean that year in 90 was that ninety um ninety eight. That was, 96. Yeah, was sorry, that ninety six. Yeah. That was that ninety
0: eight? Uh for that draft, yeah, the bibby Vince Party. Oh, sorry, graph. sorry, you're
1: right, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Um and so uh for sure, like you look at that job, you know, Ray Allen, C. Francis, Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. uh but Sharif was also a great player. Mm-hmm. So you know it's hard again it's so it's hard to argue you know who who we picked and who we could have gotten because we we also did choose i think some pretty great players
0: yeah so one of the franchise phrases and you kind of touch upon this a number of times throughout the documentary is losing is learning can you just unpack that a little bit that's not as quite as catchy as we are the north right (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh man if, if we got a team back maybe that yeah we could bring back that slogan yeah hey, i'd be okay with it uh, it's not it'll be a nod to uh, our history yeah um but uh no i mean it is, i mean it is true like losing is learning i can think of all sort of the best life lessons that i've learned in my life um and you know this, the uh the saying losing is learning rings true um and so you know, I think. I mean, it was like a marketing <laughs> video that we that our archival footage that we found. But as you know, we we learned as we, you know, as I uncovered as I did more research, spoke to you know more and more players, and it, the fact was, the Grizzlies were were actually getting better every year, and that was actually something I didn't I didn't know. That's something that I learned from talking to the players how everyone started to feel, okay, like, we're, you know, we're finally making uh, you know, improvements. We have, we're starting to, to build a solid team. Um, and then just so many things kind of happened that was out of our control. Um, one of them being, like, the NBA lockout. That really hurt the development of the team. Mm-hmm. We, didn't really, we couldn't get into it in the film. There just wasn't enough time, but that's just, like, one of the things that, you know, played against the Grizzlies um, at a time when we were, when the team was actually getting better.
0: In terms of, like, the team uh, getting better, too. So the Grizzlies moved in 2001. Like you said, they were slowly getting better. And that's, I think, what makes part of it, uh, losing them so hard. But I also... I, I was going back because I, I Googled this. Like, there was so much loss in Canada at that time. So the Quebec Nordiques, they became the Colorado Avalanche in 1995. The Winnipeg Jets, they left and became the Phoenix Coyotes in ninety six. Winnipeg later got a team back. And then, Yeah. Right. And then uh, Grizz obviously moved in 2001. And then in 2005, uh, the other Canadian team that we uh, baseball team that we had the Montreal Expos relocated to Washington and they became the Nationals. And like that's a lot of Canadian loss. Not I know like you're you're focused on Grizzlies and Vancouver and I get that. But mm-hmm. that's a lot of like loss for one country to like endure.
1: Mm-hmm. I didn't, even, I didn't even notice. I didn't even know that. So, yeah, 100%.
0: Yeah, and so for you, you kind of talk about in the documentary, like you as a Filipino second-generation kid being able to connect to this basketball culture. I kind of touched upon it in terms of Vince Carter, but for Vancouver, is it the same thing where, like, hockey and, like, kind of, like, that's Canadian culture is really dominant and it took a little while for basketball to kind of crack through that shell?
1: Um that's a good question i mean i mean i feel like every like hockey is kind of like a stereotypical sport that uh we assume that all canadians play mm-hmm. but i don't think that's actually true because you know there's there are a lot of barriers to playing hockey it's expensive like i mean i think the price of playing hockey is probably one of the, the main things whereas basketball it is definitely more accessible mm-hmm. sport And there are, you know, a lot of countries, especially in Asia, that really, uh, where basketball is a huge part of their culture. Um, And so, and the Philippines is obviously one of those, um, one of those countries. Um, So, you know, I'm definitely, with the Grizzly Truth, um, showcasing uh, my Filipino-Canadian, like, heritage and, like, um, the Philippines love for basketball is, is definitely, like, one of the main things that I'm excited about. Um, in the film and I, I get so excited when whenever there's a screening because I can't wait for the Filipinos in the audience to to watch this like especially <laughs> like this scene in the film
0: <laughs> yeah and like are there current like uh Filipino players hanging around the Nba the, yeah there's there's
1: definitely a few I, and there's also um you know there's there's some that are up and coming uh Kei Soto who uh you know I'm cheering on to 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 be the first like full Filipino. Mm-hmm player so you know hopefully there's there'll be more representation in the next few years
0: was it heartbreaking or bittersweet when the raptors won the championship a couple years back or is that too painful
1: no no it was definitely it was not it was definitely super exciting and uh bittersweet i think would be the word to describe that whole um you know that whole experience i was definitely cheering for the raptors I was wearing, I always tell people, like, I was wearing my We the North shirt, but I was, like, draped in my Vancouver Grizzlies, like, flag mm-hmm. <laughs> to make sure that everyone, you know, knows that I'm still, like, 100% first and foremost a Vancouver Grizzlies fan. But no, it was, like, it was so, like, it took, you know, how many years? 20, almost 20 years, or was it 25 years for this to happen for, mm-hmm. you know, for Canada, Um a huge win for basketball in Canada and you know I feel like it just showed the appetite for basketball in this country like why is there only one NBA team in Canada and so yeah I think I thought it was so great although again bittersweet um also just kind of realizing like you know I do hope Vancouver gets a team and I know it's not going to overnight so maybe in the next decade but then if you add another 25 years to that like
0: my, like how old will
1: I be if we if we ever win a championship? We they to really
0: get a team, right? Yeah, and I mean the other problem too is like if you generally look at the league, uh, most teams now have about three or four solid players, maybe not necessarily all stars, but really capable, really strong players. And so I think the team, in terms of, or the league, in terms of like quality of players, is at a good peak, right? When like. The idea of like Vancouver losing like how many was it, twenty games in a row or nineteen games in a row? Like yeah. Lakers are struggling right now and things like that, but you don't see a lot of those longer losing streaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think I think it's also because uh the um the NBA definitely I mean, I don't think they have those expansion rules anymore, right? Which were very which were um
0: yeah, I didn't know about this. Can you expand on this? Because this was something new for me too in the documentary. I didn't realize yeah, yeah. Toronto and Vancouver struggled with these.
1: So the NBA placed a bunch of rules um, because the the la- the last expansion team was the Orlando Magic, and they they scored Shaq and Penny back to back years, and then obviously became like a powerhouse right away. So you know, a lot of the owners weren't too happy about that. So they so they were like, okay, the next time we have an expansion uh, expansion teams, we'll, we'll make it you know a bit more difficult. For them, I mean, that's essentially what it was, right? To kind of make it so that you can be good right away, um, as they considered it unfair to the teams that had been in the league for so long. So we had a reduced salary cap. We couldn't pick the number one pick for the first three, first five years, I think it was, mm-hmm. or um, or, if we, um, and um, I might I'm, that that one. It's been been a uh, a while since I've been in the uh, the research phase so I might be butchering that one but uh what else was there um lower salary cap draft picks like there was there was other things too that we, we you know we weren't allowed to do or that we had restrictions on which you know made it harder for us uh to to get good right away like we couldn't it, yeah it would have it, it it was a slow process for us to get better.
0: Yeah, and this kind of circles back to like the whole thing of like Vancouver and even Toronto when it first started was a lot of those players that got drafted, for example, didn't even have a passport, right? They'd only played in like NCAA, yeah. right? So yeah. like to like go to another country, they're like, what? I have to get a passport now? Like it, it's just kind of like a weird thing because like, you know, players generally know where like Miami is and then they know what to kind of expect when they go to Miami or they go to LA, even if they go into the Clippers, even back then when Donald Sterling owned the Clippers – at least you're in L.A., right? Like, you can kind of, mm. like, chill and you can make do. You're in L.A. but Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: You know, actually, this is a quick tangent, but, like, I was watching an ESPN game. And so the commentators it was a Nuggets game. And uh, you know how, like, during NBA games, commentators will give you a little fun fact or whatever about uh, the player or whatever. And his mom makes this or grandma does this or whatever. What, a little fun fact or whatever. So the, the NBA commentator on this ESPN game being broadcast to Americans was talking about Jamal Murray, and he was trying to explain that he was from he was born from Kitchener. And I was like, whoa. And he, he was doing a terrible job of explaining where Kitchener was. <laughs> like, it's in Canada. I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit, you can do a little bit better than that. But it, it's just like, <laughs> that's just such a deep cut for Americans. I'm like, just round it up to kind of like Toronto. You know what I mean? And just like, let it go. Because at least now everyone has a frame of reference for Toronto hmm hmm Yeah, that's true. So there's a quote from David Stern, and uh, I want to f- circle it back to your documentary because mm-hmm. you asked this really hard question in the documentary, and I don't know the answer to this question too because I was thinking about it after I finished watching the documentary. You said the Grizzlies were... Uh, more than just a basketball team. And you could see, like, the 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 super fans that you had in the documentary and the, the feelings that they've had. And I know, like, I've been to Seattle a number of times as well, and the way that they feel about the Sonics. and obviously, they've had the Sonics for much longer uh, mm-hmm. than Vancouver did. But, like, there is that kind of hurt and that, like, this is something more than just a game. And we've seen this, too, in Toronto when they were winning and, like, the championship and all that. David Stern, the NBA commissioner at the time, His quote was, I wish we hadn't had the Vancouver experience. Great city, Mm -hmm. and we disappointed them, and we disappointed ourselves. This Mm -hmm. was in 2008, I guess, reflecting on everything. Mm -hmm. I guess this is, like, it's kind of an unfair question, but, like, if you could do it all over again, would you? Or would you have, like, never wanted to have a team in the first place, if that makes sense?
1: isn't it better to have loved and lost and never to have loved at all that's that's the quote right so yeah a hundred percent like there's you know the the grizzlies even though they we weren't the greatest team even though they their run in vancouver wasn't long it was just six years like they they um you know they meant so much to so many different people they inspired inspired a generation of kids like myself. So no, I think they, of course, like uh, 100% uh, would, would do it over and over
0: again. Mm-hmm. And so now the Grizzly Truth is coming out. What are the plans for the documentary? You have some screenings coming up?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we're starting a theatrical release. We're, we'll be playing in uh, nine select cinemas uh, uh, across Canada. Um, we're going to be in Toronto um, starting December 9- Oh, sorry. One second. Let me just. I. I should know this. I have it. Uh, I have it screen capped somewhere here. Um, and as I'm finding that December 10th, we are. Um, we're having a really, really big screening. Oh yes, yeah, right. December 10th is is when we're playing in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, we are having a really big event. We're gonna be there with uh some special guests steve francis will be there jimmy original uh toronto raptor jimmy king also member of the fab five is going to be there
0: yeah i remember um, jimmy king
1: yeah jimmy king will be there mm-hmm. um we're gonna have an open court um like open court scales competition um at, from one to 4 30 mm-hmm. at a nearby basketball gym um we're gonna announce those details soon uh, Steve will be there. I will be there. Jimmy will be there. Our whole, you know, our team will be there. And then later on that evening at 7:30 p.m., we are going to have the screening of the Grizzly Truth. So I'm um, really excited to bring, you know, the grizzlies back to Toronto for one night. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just I'm I'm hoping that you know. The basketball community, um, you know, shows up and the Filipino community um, also, you know, comes out. Uh, I'm really excited to share this story uh, with, you know, Raptors fans, with the Filipino basketball community as well. Um, so I can't wait.
0: Your moments with Steve Francis were really sweet in the documentary. Like, he finally felt like he can kind of unburden himself and he felt like he he got to say what he wanted to say. Mm-hmm. i keep going back to this analogy but it's again it's like a divorce or breaking up where like he felt like the the city and the team kind of ended on a sour note And he's like yo man let's clear the air like it's been a few years now like yeah right like we yeah. can kind of sit down and like why did we break up and then when he explains it, you're like yeah. oh yo okay yeah that's good like it worked <laughs> out right like this was like he, you know the hurt isn't yeah. as much there
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. No. And, and Steve is, you know, has been so great. So cool. It's so cool of them to, to be part of the project. You know, I, I wanted, I wanted his voice to be part of this story. And so, you know, it's been such a, you know, I grew up, you know, watching Steve, I grew up wondering why he didn't want to come to Vancouver. And so to be able to, you know, provide myself as well as other super fans, a bit of closure, um, and to understand where he was coming from, like, you know, that was one of the main goals with the film. And, I, you know, I think it was, I think the film and, and uh, you know, coming to Vancouver, Steve coming to Vancouver, I was hoping that, you know, it would be a cathartic experience for both Steve and the city. Um, and I think it was.
0: As we're wrapping up, you just used two key words. You said closure and cathartic. Uh, Mm -hmm. like so now having come out of the other side of the grizzly truth for you and even some of the super fans that you had in this documentary just local Mm -hmm. people that really passionate and really excited about the team has this been some sort of closure or cathartic release or like how do they kind of emotionally or even you kind of feel now like after this chapter now
1: definitely i mean i i was definitely you know the loudest to say bring back the grizz and you know now i can't I can't say that anymore. So I do, I do feel like, you know, the film has, I, I went through some changes and went through some growth uh, making this film, Yay. but um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I do, I definitely feel uh like more, you know, more at peace with, you know, the Grizzlies leaving. And that was always, you know, one of my goals. But after the, after we screened in Vancouver, so many people came up to me and my team and, you know, you know, would say things like, man, like, can't hate can't hate this person or like man like you made you made me like this person and i did (laughs) not want to like this person but you made me like him so you know it's always nice to hear things like that um again the goal was to to give the people who were actually there who actually experienced it to give them a chance to share how they what they went through how they felt what actually happened because as as us as super fans you know we can only it's just all speculation Mm mm-hmm all rumors it's all just like hearsay um and it's a lot of anger right so i I do think that uh i do think that the film brings closure to to really hardcore grizzly super fans
0: yeah and so just uh, we started this conversation i was asking about the ribs in memphis and you went to a memphis Mm -hmm. grizzlies game and so now you can like watch a memphis grizzlies game and it doesn't hurt too much is that too personal question
1: no, no, no. That's a great question. I think uh, it's uh, it yeah, definitely doesn't sting as much, and I definitely um, you know, so I, that I is do... growth. It is growth. It is growth. Because before, I remember, I was like, man, like they're wearing our jerseys, and those are our jerseys. But now, you know, I do see the connection. There's that. There is a connection. It's a real connection between the city of Memphis and Vancouver, and I'm I am hoping that we can just continue to strengthen that uh that bond. But, you know, there have been some ideas after you know some fans who have. Uh, Watched the film have messaged us on posted on like instagram or twitter and and been like you know
0: it would be so great to get like an exhibition game of the memphis grizzlies in vancouver Ooh, that would be dope you mentioned the instagram and the twitter just want to drop what those are yeah as we wrap up so
1: yeah on instagram we're at the grizzly truth film twitter is the grizz the grizz truth and on facebook it's the grizzly truth film so yeah we'll, we'll be posting you know all uh all uping, uh, upcoming screenings, information about the film. So, you know, for sure, give us a follow and and uh, follow along on the Grizzlies' journey.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Kat. We covered quite a bit from uh, <laughs> ribs in Memphis to uh, the Filipino community to uh, this is your second film about the Vancouver Grizzlies called The Grizzly Truth. So we did quite a good job.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for having me, Sammy. Appreciate it.
0: Yo, that was director Cat Jamie, and her documentary is called The Grizzly Truth. To expand on some of the harsh restrictions the NBA owners put on both Canadian teams, Toronto and Vancouver, in an odd bit of timing, right before Cat's documentary came out, Sports Illustrated wrote about the demise of the Grizzlies, and I'm going to quote a small section from that article. Compounding matters, the other NBA owners were something other than hospitable. As a privilege for joining the league, Vancouver's original owner had to pay a $125 million expansion fee. Spare change in today's sports economy, but a steep increase from the $32.5 million that Tim Rove's and Magic had to pay to join the NBA in 1988. More critically, legacy owners had bristled when Orlando had effectively jumped the line in landing Shaquille O'Neal in 1992 and Penny Hardaway in 1993 in the trade involving Chris Webber through the draft. So those owners prevailed on Stern, David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, to ban the new Canadian teams from getting the number one pick in any of their first three seasons. They were also forbidden from spending more than two-thirds of their total salary cap allotment, a safeguard against a lavish free agent signing. That quote was from the article, The Long Forgotten First Chapter of the Grizzlies. It's pretty fascinating. Everybody knows this, but breakups are hard. Because when a relationship starts, either romantically or as a fan of a new NBA team in your city, it's all about potential and plans. Let's do this. Let's meet here again. Let's be champs. Being a fan can be heartbreaking. Teams tank. uh, They lose games. They make bad trades or terrible signings. They come up short. Sometimes they even leave town. And all that potential and all those plans, they evaporate it's hard go to Seattle and you'll still see so much Sonic gear sold in stores not sports stores but just all kinds of stores just the way that you see Nick's uh gear in all kinds of stores in New York City you'll see Sonic's gear in stores you'll see people wearing them and it's never one thing teams always don't just pack up for like one specific reason Cat's documentary about the Grizzlies underscores that. Our conversation only highlighted some of the contributing factors. For the rest, I highly recommend checking out the Grizzly Truth. Do you miss the Van City Grizzlies? Does anyone actually even say Van City? You can let me know at my Summer Layer for all three: IG, my Summer layer. Facebook, my Summer layer. and Twitter, my Summer Layer. You missed Vancouver Grizzlies. Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Grizzlies, yo.